I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome along to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Rudy Barlow. I'm your host today. I'm joined by Roman de Arquer. And we're gonna, we've got a good podcast coming up. We're previewing El Clasico. There's a few bits and bobs to do with Spain's potentially upcoming squads and a few inclusions. We've got Villarreal, Setien and Getafe reaction again. They seem to be on Monday nights quite a lot for Roman. I can't think why. Um, and the two best value signings of the season Perhaps we're going to debate and get into that as well. That will come in the second half. But of course, the big topic is the Copa del Rey and the semi-final between Barcelona and Real Madrid, El Clasico. We've got Osasuna Athletic Club coming on a Wednesday night. Um, we're recording before that takes place. So um, predictions here. Roman, I don't know if you want to make any bold ones, but in terms of El Clasico, obviously from a Barcelona perspective, how are you feeling about this one? <laughs> Well, I have to say, um, I'm not as optimistic as maybe uh, last games they've played between them, especially, of course, the, the Supercopa uh, de España, because, of course, we're missing very important players. Uh, not having already missing out on Dembélé has been uh, quite a big miss. We saw it against Manchester United, where we really could have used him there. Not having Pedri, uh, pretty much the same thing. We know how important he is that midfield, how po- important he is. Uh, keeping the, the team compact and also helping to build up uh, f- going forward and then now of course if you add to that you don't have Lewandowski who probably hasn't been at his best lately but still he's our only reference our only number nine we we got rid of Memphis Depay in the winter uh, transfer market so there's no other number nine basically available aside from Te- Ferran Torres who of course can be uh, playing that false nine position but it, it isn't the same of course and with these guys missing out, uh, I am a bit worried, of course, because Madrid seem to have recovered a bit from that bad dynamic they had uh, late uh, January or early February. They've, they're looking a bit better, even though they're still maybe not at their best point. But still, uh, we know how dangerous they can be. So, of course, at the moment, it's looking um, quite preoccupying if, if you're a Barca fan, of course. Yes, it's it's not the best prognosis, to be to be perfectly <laughs> honest, missing... You're arguably, I'd say, probably best three offensive players of the season in Petri Lewandowski and Dembélé. Lewandowski picked up an injury after the Almeria defeat. He has a thigh problem, a muscle issue that's set to keep him out for about two weeks, is what they're saying. Um, so he should be back for the League Classico on the 20th, as should Petri and likely Dembélé, although that's a little bit more up in the air. But injury problems hitting 
Barcelona hard. Ansu Fati has just trained. Um, I've just seen as we're about to jump on to record, so he is probably going to make it. But wherever you start him for Xavi, knowing that Ansu hasn't really started many games this season in general, let alone after after a muscle problem or or a knock, sorry. And Rodrigo Gorge is also just trained with Real Madrid, so he looks like he'll be able to make an impact wherever he starts again is another issue. They're missing Furlong Mendy and David Alaba. If you were Xavi, how would you set up against this Real Madrid, knowing that you have those absences, but also knowing that this four-man midfield hasn't really worked with Franck Kessier kind of further forward in that four-man midfield at all? Yeah, it is a tough question. Uh, Honestly, uh, I was liking that four-man midfield you're mentioning, but of course it's true that without Pedri there, it hasn't really been as good, we could say. Uh, could go back to a 4-3-3, but then again, don't have as many attacking options without Lewandowski, Dembele, etc. As you said, Ansu Fati hasn't really looked the same this season. Uh, I am quite worried, I have to say, with, with, with his level, with his football, because we all know what hopes uh, there were here at Barcelona, how good he was before his... Uh, some of those injuries and, and he just can't seem to recover the confidence the quality he has he just comes on the field and he seems like a normal player you know from the bunch it doesn't seem like a player that can make a difference and, and I'm worried that uh, he gets you know um, more and more worried about his, his personal situation and, and just can't find a way out so uh, I don't think Ansu Fati will start also because you mentioned he's coming back from an injury so I still think the most reliable option we have at the moment is to stick with that 4-4-2 uh, there's the option of, of not playing Kessi if he thinks he's he Xavi thinks he's not the best option there because we still have of course Busquets who's who's back a couple of games ago uh, De Jong, Sergio Roberto and Gabi who could play in that four uh, in the midfield so that's an option although personally I haven't really been loving Sergio Roberto either he has had maybe a good game against weaker sides but then against a tougher opposition he doesn't tend to be as good in my opinion and I think Kessi has had a decent uh, run lately, take into account he was being criticised for uh, maybe not being the footballer they expected, but lately I think he has looked much better. So uh, I, I wouldn't mind giving him a shot, you know, playing that 4-4-2 with uh, Ferran Torres and Rafinha probably um, are, are more are better options going forward and defence uh, the usual, you know, of course Araujo, Koundé. Uh, then I hope he doesn't make any Chavi doesn't make any weird changes putting uh, Marcos Alonso there for for whatever reason <laughs> I hope he sticks to Christiansen and uh, probably Balde or, or Jordi Alba according to what he considers more more appropriate so I think that would probably be my my eleven and yeah I, I think I'd stick to that four four two even though uh, as you said it hasn't been looking as good without Pedri but still I, I'm just don't see we have the right players for a four three three. I'm going to throw three names at you and three kind of suggestions. Jordi Alba, could he, Jordi Alba, could he start in midfield? Could he start in a kind of a two with Alejandro Balde? Then I want to talk to you about Angel Alarcón, who came on and had a one or two bright touches against Almeria, which, to be fair, was more than most players for Barcelona that evening. Could he start or could he at least play a, a big role? Anastanis Pedrola, who's been in good form, I don't know if, if uh, close observers will remember that he played against Mallorca last season in the depths of the Barcelona injury crisis, could he be back in the squad? Because he's been in good form for Barca Athletic. Oh, he could definitely be in the squad. I mean, we all know that Xavi likes uh, giving opportunities, if not so much 
playing, uh, at least having them on the bench, you know, and if he really needs them in the last minute or whatever, he, he could play them. Uh, obviously, I think Alarcón has many more chances of playing than Stanis because, of course, he did play the other day. As you said, he had some very uh, good interventions. He looked quite bright there on the field, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the game he comes in, but I definitely don't don't uh, think they're gonna st any of them are going to have a chance at starting this match, especially being a classical, you know, if we're talking about Akadith or another weaker side, of course. Uh, Xavi might take that risk, but we know that Xavi doesn't tend to do uh, crazy gambles in that sense. So uh, it'll be it'll be strange to see them. And regarding Jordi Alba in that midfield position, I mean it's definitely a possibility. I mean Jordi Alba has has a good uh, touch of the ball. He he knows how to uh, use it and, and and take good care of it. So in that sense, I think he has enough quality. But uh, I just don't see Xavi taking too many risks. You know, I think he's going to be go more for the. Uh, reliable options he already has uh, at the same time it's true that having Jordi Alba there and Balde would maybe provide a bit more of, of, of defense we could say even though Jordi Alba is not the best of defenders but with the support of Balde maybe that would be a bit different so I mean it is definitely an option to keep in mind because we also know that uh, Jordi Alba is, is very good going uh, down that left wing although at the same time that might just uh, limit Balde's um, going forward you know because we also know that he likes to get the ball uh, take those strides forward and he could be quite dangerous on that left wing so we'll have to see if, if Xavi thinks that's that's a possibility although for me as I said I'd stick to, to the four I said before with uh, Kessier, um, De Jong, Gabi and, and Sergi Busquets I think uh, that for me should be the starting four in the midfield Good stuff and, and moving on to Real Madrid and kind of their perspective on this if you're Carlo Ancelotti you know that your team is incredibly good at getting out of the press you know that your team is lethal on the counter-attack at times and Vinicius is probably best suited to that would you try and take the ball off Barcelona here or would you kind of wait and counter-attack because Barcelona have struggled to keep the ball against better sides in recent weeks especially now without Pedri yeah, I, I think uh, Madrid should stick to their guns and, and do what they do best, which is, as you said, counter-attack. I mean, as, you, as we've been saying, um, Barca without Pedri hasn't had such good control of the ball, haven't looked as dangerous going forward. They're struggling maybe to find more of those passes. They're struggling to find uh, Lewandowski up front, who of course isn't going to be there, but still they're going to they're struggle possibly to find Ferran Torres, who's probably going to have to come down more often to the midfield to try and uh, help build down from there. So, I mean, unless they wow us somehow and, and have an incredible performance, I don't think it's going to be uh, a massive domination from Barcelona in the sense of having the ball and, and being dangerous, creating uh, going forward. So, I, I really do think that uh, Ancelotti will probably do the usual thing, you know, have his wings nice and, and open, wait, uh, have Benzema come down a bit, you know, receive and, and open that up to those players in the wing, such as Vinicius, Rodrigo, if he plays, or whoever he has on the other side. And and from there, we know that they can do a lot of damage because Barcelona have been very good defending in La Liga, haven't been as good in European competitions, but somehow you just know that they're vulnerable, you know? I mean, we have been lucky in La Liga not to concede more, I think, having seen uh, practically every single game. Uh, there are many chances that uh, Barca 
have been lucky because they've had Ter Stegen mostly. He's been very inspired this season. So much credit to him because he has he's he's looking like one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the moment, uh, like back uh, a few years ago, and he's really recovered that level. So without Ter Stegen, with another goalkeeper, we'd probably concede double goals or at least <laughs> the, the, the the ones we have already. So. Um, I think uh, Madrid will be dangerous, will have their opportunities. They know that Barca um, is more vulnerable, is weaker. They're, they're missing out important players and they have a great shot at uh, maybe not, liquidate, not finishing off uh, this uh, tie, but at least getting a good result. Yeah, you uh, referenced a great kind of Spanish term there to, to liquidate your rivals, <laughs> exactly. to, to kind of really destroy them. Um, and it, w it would be an important emotional blow for Real Madrid to strike, given that Barcelona would be then on a three-game losing run, that they've kind of dropped points in the title race. They come up against a, a struggling but battling Valencia at the weekend. From a Real Madrid perspective, I was at the Bernabeu for the Madrid derby on, on Saturday, and I think two of the key sort of interesting areas for me will be, I think Luka Modric will start. I've, I've no bones about that. He's kind of been dosed in and out of the side, but you saw against Liverpool he started, he was rested against Atleti to a certain extent, he, he only came on for the last few minutes. And I think the reason that he'll be so key in this game is because without Benzema quite on his top form, as you say, kind of dropping off and playing out to the wings, and potentially without Rodrigo, we'll see whether he starts or whether he comes on. They really do lack kind of that player to move in between the lines in the final third to, to link up with Benzema and Vinicius. And so I think Modric's role in that sense will be key. I'll be interested. I reckon he's going to start Eduardo Camavinga too. He was, he was also rested, but I think right now he's playing at a higher level than Aurelien Chouamini, who, who, who's, yeah, he's in, injured a, a tricky sort of up and down sort of three month, two or three months since the World Cup. Um, and it's not quite working for him. And then the other thing I'll be really interested to see is with Vinicius Jr., we saw Araujo deployed on the right against Manchester United in the Camp Nou leg to deal with Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford was then moved inside. Araujo tends to play as right back against Real Madrid to kind of try and snuff out that Vinicius threat and has been very effective at doing so. But I wonder if Ancelotti sees that coming and does the same thing. If he moves Vinicius inside, kind of plays him really directly off Benzema, maybe Benzema kind of falling out to the left-hand side a little bit. And I think we saw little bits of that in the Supercopa Clásico in the final. We saw kind of instances where Vinicius had moved inside to try and get away from Araujo. But, uh, but yeah, I think it'll be an interesting watch, no doubt. So coming into the end of this preview and, uh, and wrapping up the, the Barcelona-Real Madrid chat, do you have any kind of, sort of on a more macro level, in terms of the league title race, do you, have, do you have more to give us or do you still think that we're roughly in the same place, that this was a blip from Barcelona and that once they get their players back they should be still kind of strong favourites for the title race? Well, I mean, uh, of course they, they, they should they should still be because the, the, the gap is big and, and from what I've been reading, uh, no team has ever uh, come back from such a big gap, you know, and, and uh, usually the, the, the team that's on top by so many points uh, tends to win this competition. So, I mean, it would be very strange uh, for Barca not to actually win. I see more confidence that you, than usual in that sense because I've seen many journalists uh, from Barcelona, of course, who have uh, who, who seem to be sure that we're going to win La Liga, where whereas it's not usually um, 
so normal to see people here so confident. You know, <laughs> Catalans tend to be maybe a bit more worrisome, more preoccupied preoccupi- in that sense, and, and don't really trust anything until the very last minute when it's actually sealed and they can guarantee they're going to win it. So in that sense, I, I was a bit surprised. But then at the same time, uh, we've seen how Barca just kind of uh, look so different when it comes to playing in Europe, you know. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something goes wrong at some point and, and that suddenly uh, they look awful because it's true that we haven't been uh, consistent throughout the year. In the La Liga, we have been more consistent for sure, but in, if we put all the competitions together, then um, we can't really say the same thing. But uh, ultimately, I think even if Barca lose here, uh, when they recover your, their players, as you said, it should be enough, you know, because I mean, there's lots of quality, and and uh, we have been seeing good bar- good um, performances from Barcelona this season with Xavi, I think, in 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 certain games, especially in La Liga. So I mean, hopefully nothing goes wrong in that sense. And before we finish off, I just wanted to add um, that this Clásico uh, will be Busquets' 46th Clásico if he plays. He'll have more Clásicos than any uh, other player in the history of, of these two games. Uh, at the moment, he's drawn with Sergio Ramos and Messi. All three on 45, so it would be an incredible feat. Uh, who would have said that Busquets would be the player with more Clásicos in the history of, of this game? Impressive. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, and, a, and a timely reminder that we, we don't quite know what we have till it's gone. Because I think most people would have banked <laughs> on Messi um, holding that yeah. record by the end of, kind of this era. Um, but yes, we shall wrap up part one and move on to part two, where we want to discuss a certain Gabri Vega. But don't go anywhere. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. It's part two. We promise you discussion on Gabri Vega, who is the hot name in La Liga and in Spain right now. Eight goals he's got in La Liga, and that puts him, I think it's about fifth in the Thara Awards. Um, he's really sort of come on leaps and bounds this season and won his place in the lineup, to, to be perfectly honest. But how good is he, Roman? And, and how much have you seen him, and what have you seen from him? I mean, I haven't been following Celta maybe uh, as much as Barca, of course, but uh, definitely I have seen uh, him in some games, highlights and all that kind of stuff, and I have been really impressed. I mean, he looks like such a talented player, one of those players that could actually uh, make a difference, not just for Celta, but I'm, I'm talking about uh, national team level, you know, he has a lot of quality. I mean, I won't, wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years uh, some big team comes snatching him up if of course he keeps up this level because scoring eight goals and three assists at this stage uh, Aspas just has one more goal than him so I mean he's been proving fundamental for them in that aspect you know because there has there was a peer, period sorry during this season where, where you could see that Celta Vigo were struggling to get goals uh, Aspas maybe hasn't been as sharp as we remember him of course he's 35 years old at the moment and uh, in the end you know age is a factor and it's not going to be he's not going to be there forever uh, saving uh, saving Celta so to have a kid like uh, Gabriel Vega come up 20 years old uh, practically out of nowhere because it's true that he ha did have uh, some minutes last season with Celta Vigo but you know just a few minutes here and there uh, nothing much was expected of him and then suddenly this season he's really just uh, come out of nowhere we could say because you know scoring eight goals I think is, is really incredible even assisting and he's just crucial for them he's scoring goals in important games which are actually uh, giving them wins and important results and the way he comes from behind and goes forward the capacity he has to finish off his opportunity, opportunity. Sorry, because his shooting is also uh, on point. I mean, just a breath of fresh air for Celta Vigo, who were, who are, who were, and are sorry, struggling this season. So having a player like him uh, is much needed. And Carvajal at the moment seems to be uh, finding the right way to fit him in in, in this starting eleven. So credit to, to the manager, credit to Celta, credit to Gabri, to all of them. You know who must be so hyped up, uh, seeing how he's he's doing so incredibly well. Yeah, Gabri Vega is, is kind of driving that Celta team forward and upwards. And Sam Leverage has written an article on lllonline.sopsat.com just detailing how well they've been doing. They've been one of the best teams since Carvajal took over um, in terms of points and, and statistically. You mentioned kind of the, the Spain aspect there. I was reading in Diario Ras today that uh, four Celta players are in the preliminary squad, they're in the long list, and that includes Aspas and Vega, as well as Unai Nunez and Javi Galan, which Javi Galan, I'm sure, will delight Matt Clark of this parish. Um, but uh, but yeah, we talk about Celta, I mean, two of those players aren't from the Celta Academy, but looking at the Thara Award, I put in a stat the other day into the chat that five of the six top Spanish scorers in Spain, apart from Oyan Sanset, have all come from the Celta Academy. So that's Gabri Vega, it's Joselu Mato, Iago Aspas, Bryce Mendes, and Borja Iglesias. Do we kind of underrate the Celta Academy? Because I mean, we we like to talk about kind of academies and, and who's well, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia. I think Paterna's always had a good academy. Athletic and Real Sociedad have got a lot of praise, but Celta here proving in goals that they have plenty of talent coming through there as well. 
Yeah, it's undoubtedly, uh, and it's no doubt about that. I mean, we, we definitely always talk about Barca, Madrid, you know, uh, about their youth teams, about their players uh, shining elsewhere, if they do shine. But, uh, yeah, we don't keep in mind as much as other clubs, and, and Celta are definitely up there, as you said. I mean, it's a lot of quality uh, with Borja Iglesias, a lot of quality with uh, Bryce Mendez, with Gabri Vega coming up, Aspas, etc. So, I mean, a uh, lot of talent. Uh, it's really working out well. Uh, maybe, unfortunately, they aren't using it in their favor as much because, of course, lots of those players end up elsewhere. We know all the problems that Celta also have with their president, who is um, quite controversial, too. So I guess it's not easy having to deal with him in that sense. And uh, who knows if younger players already see what he's up to and decide to go elsewhere Elsewhere, sorry, to not complicate their lives uh, as much. We saw what happened recently with poor Denis Suarez, who wasn't even allowed to play and finally got the chance to leave in this transfer market, even though at the beginning they were saying he was going to be the whole season there without playing. So, I mean, uh, Celta de Vigo is not an easy club to be at, but, uh, I mean, they definitely have plenty of talent. There are plenty of quality. And, uh, yeah, Gabriel Vega is the newest example of this, but uh, Borja Iglesias, etc., have been proving themselves for uh, many years now. So it's it's great to see other academies, you know, other uh, clubs showing that they ha there's a lot of young players coming up there and you mentioned quite a few we could also say even Villarreal for example who tend to have a really good uh, B team uh, playing good football and, and getting some great players out of there etc etc so uh, always good to keep an eye out other youth teams aside from of course uh, Barca and Madrid. Yeah you mentioned Villarreal there they nicked uh, a promising young midfielder from Girona, kind of the fringes of their squad in January, Ramon Terrats, who's been playing with Villarreal B, but started against Hitafe in their kind of crucial 2-1 win on Monday night. It, it moves Villarreal up back into kind of the European race a bit more. They're now just three points off Rayo in sixth um, after a run of four defeats in a row, which was really pretty damaging. Hitafe obviously stay in, in second to bottom and, and they very much are in this relegation scrap. In terms of these two teams, do you see either of them having an upturn soon? I mean, Villarreal, they obviously beat Hitafe, but I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about Kike Setia and the two of us in particular. Um, they've got Anderles coming up in the, in the Europa Conference League. I don't know, I, I feel like Villarreal and Setien will not be together next season. Well, I mean, if there's still there's still a long way to go, honestly. First, of, he has to try and finish this season on the bench because uh, he has many detractors. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people would love to see him drop off that bench. But, uh, I mean, he has had a good spell, you know, before... We could say maybe after that, maybe after that uh, win against Real Madrid in La Liga, uh, that Copa del Rey game again against Real Madrid, they played very good, but in the end uh, they lost. And since then, uh, it's, it hasn't been great form. But it's surprising because I mean, some games they play really good football. It seems like they deserve more, but then again, other games they just uh, surprise you and, and lose against Elche, who hadn't won a single game uh, in La Liga, you know. And of course, that's a massive disappointment for a team like Villarreal, who needs those three points if they want to. Uh, make it to the top of the well, to the Champions League, top of La Liga, and um, to be fair, they have been missing Gerard Moreno, and no matter who's on in charge in that club, without Gerard Moreno, you, there's always um, something missing there in attack. You know, we've been talking about this many times how they try to find a replacement or someone who could uh, stand up for him while he was unavailable, but that didn't happen. So when he's not there, it's a massive blow. So knowing that Moreno. Uh, is is, rec is recovered and he's, he's available and, and going to be there. Hopefully that should 
give Kike Setien a big boost and we have to see how it goes on if they manage to win uh, the Conference League if they get a good result maybe make it to the Champions League at the end of the season we might be talking about an incredible Kike Setien who uh, might uh, renew his contract for the next three, four, five years who knows you know but of course uh, we can't uh, skip to conclusions yet There's still a long way to go we know that Kike Setien has been very irregular in that sense even though Villarreal seemed to play decent football but they're not maybe as as solid at the back as they were with Unai Emery they're conceding more and uh, and when it comes to scoring goals if Moreno's not there then they, they struggle a bit more so uh, let's see if he, they can keep him healthy and, and we'll have to see if, if Setien can uh, keep that pressure off his shoulders and, and manage to do uh, good things at Villarreal Yeah you mentioned how crucial Moreno is there I think it's about a 30% drop off perhaps even a little bit more in their win rate with and without Moreno so that kind of just shows you how crucial he is. I meant to mention in the first uh, section as well Pedri I think it's 90% win rate for Xavi with Pedri in the side and 57% without him and uh, yeah as much as you can uh, you can speculate about what managers can do and how they can play and what tactics they can employ to a certain extent they do just need their best players on the pitch and then without them it's very hard to do anything. I should say that I am not of the Kike Setien detractors and I really hope it does work out for him, even if I do have, have my own doubts that it might work. Um, we mentioned Barcelona there, we mentioned crucial strikers. I want to come on to Espanyol because Diego Martinez has, has moaned a lot about kind of signings this season and the, the lack of signings, but in two cases, Domingo Catoira, who's the, who's the sporting director there, has definitely got it right because Joselu Mato has 11 goals this season. He's leading the Thara Award and, and Martin Brathwaite now has seven goals, both signed on a free. That's 18 goals of their 27, a whopping two-thirds, and so, well, yeah, 67% or so. Just Are they the best value signings in La Liga this season? Because I, I, I've struggled to think of anyone who's doing more for their team than those two. Well, I mean, uh, they're definitely performing at the level Espanol needed them to. Sorry, needed them to perform. Uh, Joselo, we all know what he provides to a team: goals. He's been proving it so far. You know, uh, the thing is that I think it was halfway through the season or so before maybe Brathwaite had been scoring as much. Uh, I think Joselo had that stat: at around sixty or seventy percent of Espanol's goals were through him. So it's it's given him you know a bit of the possibility uh, to not have to depend uh, the team depends so much on him with with Brathway there now scoring also his goals and and we know that Brathway is is a very valid player for for a first division side um, of course it's not the same when you play for a Barça or a Madrid etc where uh, he didn't really have the quality but we saw it at Leganes where he was a really uh, decent striker for them he was getting uh, important goals with with them with him sorry Leganes were doing quite well so. Uh, now Espanyol have a bit of the same, you know, a, a player that's reliable, that can poach goals, that's there, you know, when you need him to, and, and, and it's going to get probably still a few more goals here until the end of the season. So, I mean, having those two players in attack is definitely something uh, a team needs to stay in the first division because goals can be very, very important. Uh, we know that uh, teams like Elche, for example, have been struggling to score goals and and Valladolid, etc. And when they you don't score many goals, then of course you're you're down there at the bottom, and it's it's really hard to, to get out. So uh, super important for them to get have these two guys up front. Now they have a winning streak of, of two of two games. Espanol, who are slowly but steadily uh, climbing out of those bottom positions, although it's still a, a very very tight fight down there. 
Yeah, I think I worked it out. It was 11 points that Brathwaite has been directly kind of responsible for with his goals and 11 points that Hoslu has been responsible for with his goals. Now, there is some overlap between that, but if you think that's 22 of, of their um, points total, I think it's about 27 points that they're on um, this season. It really does go to show just how lost they would be without certainly Hoslu and, and I think Brathwaite's absence would, would do some damage too. Is there anything further that you'd like to add? Well, I don't, I, I don't know if you want to talk about a bit the relegation battle there and these how things are going because, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty crazy to see how every few weeks there are like two different, aside from Elche, of course, who are always <laughs> at the, the bottom and unfortunately it's not, it's not going to change for them. Uh, there are always like two different sides, you know, before it was Sevilla, before it was Almeria, now it's Valencia and Getafe. Every time there's somebody new down there and it's such a, a crazy battle. I don't know what you think about that. Yes, we've got, well, five teams, uh, five points, sorry, separating 12th and 19th. And then Girona starting to open up a little bit of a gap after their big win against the Athletic Club at the weekend. But Celta Vigo, as you mentioned, Espanyol, both of those teams kind of pulling away. They're on 27 points now. And that's just four points ahead of Valencia, who we've been talking about how awful they are for for quite some time now, but they're just a point away from safety. We're Vaid leading Cadiz, Almeria, Sevilla, all on 25. We've spoken about kind of Sevilla having a bit of a revival and, and San Paoli starting to get things going there. But but yeah, all of these teams are so mired in it because I don't think any of the, the difference is that none of the top half teams are necessarily a certain victory against these bottom half sides. And, and so yeah, that, that relegation battle is really promising to be exciting and I'd say Valencia and Hatafe are two of the sides that have more quality to get out of it and those are the two that are in the bottom three along with Elche so so certainly exciting. Um, did you just want to touch on the best awards before we before we, we head off? I mean I know Leo Messi is a, is a player and a person close to our hearts. Yeah, of course he is. Uh, I mean, um, for some, a bit controversial, especially Madrid fans, of course, because Karim Benzema maybe should have been there. But I think uh, with the World Cup uh, right there in the middle, I, it was undoubtedly going to go to, to Leo Messi, who, you know, finally achieved a historic moment. Many doubters saying that without the World Cup, he wouldn't be considered uh, the best or, or maybe not even top three. Who knows? But now I think there aren't any more doubts, right? Uh, with that World Cup, he's just won it all. He's he led his team uh, to the final. He beat France, who are a superpower in, in in international football. And so I mean, now he definitely deserved this, and he's just uh, for me the best there has been. Yeah, um, and I think <laughs> uh, there's not much more to add than that, other than <laughs> the fact that David Alaba had to come out and put out a statement <laughs> yeah. for Austria. He, he explained that Austria is a team vote um, rather than just the captain, David Alaba. Mm -hmm. But he had to put out a statement for getting abuse and racial abuses too on his Instagram. Really kind of grim stuff because he voted for it's Messi ridiculous. ahead of Benzema. Um, as Roman has just highlighted, we're talking about what for many is the greatest player of all time. Yeah, football. These individual awards sometimes do... Um, do really test test the patience to a certain degree, it has to be said. And, and Laporta looking a little bit, um, 
glum. There was a smile on his face, but it was it looked a little forced as Messi was was going up to take that award as well. But on that note, we shall sign off and let the good listeners of this podcast get back to the day. Thank you very much to the listeners for for joining us um, and join us again on the Substack as well as well as the podcast. Make sure you see what is coming out of of the kind of written pieces and the written work that we do after El Clasico because I'm sure we'll have some excellent reaction. Thank you, Roman. Thank you. And by the way, as we're recording this, it's our five-year anniversary at La Liga Lowdown. So as you were saying, thank you very much for all our listeners, followers, etc. who are always there supporting us, reading our content, uh, consuming whatever we provide. And it's always been a pleasure. And hopefully we can do this for many more years. Here's to another five, Roman. Um, but yes, uh, thank you to the listeners. And uh, yes, on that note, feliz cumpleaños para nosotros. Ciao. <laughs>